Thank you for tuning in to Songs of Praise from 3ABN Australia Radio. We trust you'll enjoy this musical selection to bring you peace, comfort and hope.
day they pass me by I can see it in their eyes Empty people filled with care Headed who knows where On they go through private pain Living fear to fear Laughter hides their silent cries Only Jesus hears People need the
Songs of Praise endeavours to draw your heart, mind and soul to a close relationship with your Saviour, Jesus Christ.
If you're enjoying this music, encourage your friends to listen to this program each week.
supreme salvation. His heavenly love filled my earthly soul, and I've become His new creation. My brokenness He made completely whole, and through the darkness of this world I've been commissioned to be the light that shines for Him alone. Surrounded by His infinite mercy, may my life always be known to be like Jesus. To be like Jesus. To be the one I was created. Invite your family and friends to also enjoy songs of praise. There was darkness all over the land as they crucified the Son of Man. The veil of the temple was raised.
tasted the pleasures I have tasted you were never Just me. 
your righteousness. Our Father who reigns on Zion, broken we bow. Here in this place No lie 
We here at 3ABN Australia Radio are delighted to share songs of praise with you. We look forward to your company next time. Today, in 3ABN Australia Radio's book reading, we're continuing I Saw God's Hand by the late missionary pastor Elwyn Martin. Much of the book is set in Papua New Guinea and is broadcast with the kind permission of Amazing Facts. In our last episode, Elwyn told of chartering a plane from Togaba, near Mount Hagen in New Guinea, to Wabag in the Western Highlands. Elwyn, with two other missionaries, were to take the trip. But with their supplies, they were limited to 1,200 pounds in weight. Once fully loaded, they were now ready to take off. We continue the story. For the only time I could remember, the wind was blowing opposite the way it usually blew. The Togaba airstrip has plenty of length, but has a slight rise one way. This particular morning, we would have to do an uphill takeoff to take off into the wind. We taxied the full length of the runway. The pilot did the usual pre-take-off check-up, which requires bringing the motors up to about 1,000 revs per minute, while the magnetos on each motor are tested separately for revs per minute drop. At that moment, I noticed that the wind had changed. 
I am a pilot, so immediately started to undo my seatbelt in order to walk up to the pilot and inform him of the wind change in case he hadn't noticed it. One of my friends, noticing what I was planning to do, said, Sit down, Martin. Bill knows more about flying than you are ever likely to know. That was true, and by this time we were beginning our takeoff roll. By the time we reached the end of the airstrip, we were airborne. But almost as soon as we were over the end of the strip, we ran into a downdraft. All on board the aircraft, as well as the European staff at the Togaba Hansonite colony from which we had taken off, realised that the odds were against us. What actually happened, I believe, was that we did a downwind uphill takeoff. True, we were airborne, but we did not have sufficient airspeed to cope with the downdraft, and within minutes were flying in a gorge at a lower altitude than the airstrip. I poured out my heart to God for help. Nurse June Bartlett later told me that almost as soon as the plane was heard taking off, she felt we were in danger and so petitioned our Heavenly Father on our behalf. Beryl Doble, who was ironing at that moment, was overwhelmingly urged by a voice that seemed to say, pray, pray, pray. She dropped to her knees immediately and pleaded for our protection. The text that seemed to occupy all our minds was call upon me in the day of trouble. Surely this was a day of trouble for us. All who know the highlands around Togaba and Mount Hagen know how rugged the country is. Within a matter of moments after takeoff, trees appeared to be streaming by the plane's windows, and then the wingtips could be seen clipping off small twigs and branches. With motors screaming, Bill fought desperately to regain altitude. We were flying in a gorge with towering mountains on each side, with wingtips being lifted by the skillful pilot so as to avoid hitting limbs of trees and grassy ridges. With perspiration dripping from his face, even though it was a cold highland morning, the captain said, hold hard, gentlemen, we're not going to make it. Directly ahead loomed the towering mountainside into which it seemed certain we must crash. But just then our pilot cut both motors and deliberately banked steeply into a tree. Those words, hold hard, gentlemen, were the last words Bill ever spoke. He gave his life for us, for he must have known that he had no chance of survival in the nose of the plane. All I can remember of the actual crash is the wing and fuselage fabric being torn away. Then apparently all were temporarily knocked unconscious, except the pilot, who was killed instantly. Pastor Grieve was the first to regain consciousness. Gallantly and in spite of his injuries, he pulled Pastor Gander and me out of the wreckage. He admitted that he was spurred on by seeing fuel pouring out on the hot motor. The wreckage never caught fire. Pastor Grieve immediately set out for help. Dr Yates, his wife, nurse Florence Burdett, Mr Bartlett, Mr Doble, Mr Cornell, the national staff and some patients hurriedly set out for the gorge in which they believed the dragon had crashed. They had heard the motors cut out and loud yelling of natives on the mountainside. Within a short time, they were at the scene of the crash. 
Dr. Yates found that the pilot's face had been crushed beyond recognition. Pastors Grieve and Gander were battered, and I was more seriously injured. Preparations were hurriedly made to carry us out. Europeans and nationals did a wonderful job in making improvised stretches and carrying us out of the rugged gorge. When I later saw the sight of the plane crash and the gorge out of which they carried us, I felt ashamed, for apparently I had rebuked them several times as they tried to carry me up the steep mountainside. The doctor, sisters and carriers told me afterwards that I kept saying, easy, easy boys, and then apparently I would complain every time they got my feet higher than my head. I can't remember anything about the conversation or the carry-in. The Mount Hagen government doctor was rushed to Togaba, while a DC-3 with a doctor, Department of Civil Aviation officials and emergency equipment flew in from Madang. It arrived shortly after we were carried to the Togaba hospital. Apparently the control tower at Madang or Lay had heard Bill's distress call before the plane crashed. Shortly after, a fourth doctor arrived from the Bayer River Baptist Mission. Nurse Bartlett said to one of the government doctors, Doctor, see what you can do for poor old Elwyn. After feeling my pulse, he said, Poor old Elwyn, as you call him, is in the hands of the Almighty. I heard him say that, but apparently he could not detect my pulse, and my head was covered with part of a blood-soaked blanket. Then Miss Bedette called a doctor over and said, Please, doctor, see whether anything can be done for Elwyn. He too apparently failed to pick up my pulse, for I heard him say, I'm afraid it is too late. He has had his chief. By this time I was prepared to call it quits. The doctors in consultation decided to fly past as Gander and Grieve to the Madang District Hospital where their fractures could be attended to, but it was thought too late for me because my condition was too critical for such a trip. I can clearly recall Dr Yates coming over to me. Apparently a few minutes after the decision was made to fly the other two men out, he pulled the blood-soaked blanket off my face and said, Well, Elwyn, old man, how are you? Doctor, I've had it. Dr Yates, with his stethoscope on me, said, Pull your socks up. You're all right. I certainly did not know what to believe, for one doctor had said I was in the hands of the Almighty, and another that I'd had my chuf. Now here was Dr Yates telling me to pull my socks up and that I was all right. Long days and weary nights were made easier by loving hands. Everything possible was done to ease my pain and bring relief and comfort. My wife, who had been hurried to my bedside in the home of Dr and Mrs Yates, was with me continually. She says that during those critical days, I only had to move at night, and Dr Yates was out of bed and by my side, feeling my pulse and running the stethoscope over my chest. One morning I awakened with the pain gone. When the doctor came in and asked how I was feeling, I replied, I'm feeling like a round or two. He gave me a once-over, then hugged me and said, You're coming through. You're coming through.
Indignantly, I asked what he meant by coming through. For several days, your life has been swinging in the balance, Elwyn. I never thought you had a chance. I immediately launched a counterattack by saying, Roy, I ought to get out of bed and tap you on the beak, for when I was ready and wanted to die, you said, pull your socks up, you're all right. With tears running down his face, he said, Elwyn, I never thought you had a chance, but I knew that if you for a moment dropped your bundle, that was it. This is not my work that has brought you through, but the work of the great physician. About two days later, Dr Yates decided that I had improved sufficiently to travel by road to Mount Hagen Hospital for x-rays. The x-rays revealed severe skull fractures. The three doctors who examined the plates were amazed that one could live with such extensive fractures, and those who saw the twisted wreckage of the plane were even more amazed. No doubt because of the prayers of our wonderful Christian family, our lives were spared. There is not the slightest doubt in my mind that I am now living on borrowed time. Our next chapter is entitled Birthday Party at Sea. During our last term in the islands, spent back on the coast, I took my boat to Port Moresby for its annual survey. These annual surveys generally took two or three weeks to complete, but sometimes more depending on the amount of work required. The boat and its equipment were thoroughly checked and any repairs, overhauls or replacements were made. The boat always had to be slipped so that stern bearings, propeller and propeller shaft, also copper sheeting, could be examined and attended to. When the boat and its equipment, which of course included dinghies and life-saving equipment, had been put in order, an inspector examined it before issuing a certificate of seaworthiness. My boat had been on the slip for a week and a half when I was summoned to the telephone to take an urgent call from the Port Moresby Native Hospital. As I hurried to the telephone, I couldn't even begin to imagine the reason for the call. A doctor informed me that he had a patient by the name of Omohi, who was a missionary teacher in my field. He was extremely distressed and kept asking for me. I promised the doctor that I would get to the hospital as soon as possible. However, I couldn't figure out how Omohi could be there because I had only recently located him in a village in the headquarters of Orihomo River, some three to four hundred miles west of Port Moresby. Within an hour of receiving the call, I was ushered into a large ward of the hospital. There was the missionary teacher, Pastor Omohi, in rather poor shape and certainly distressed. A doctor who noticed me talking to Omohi asked whether I happened to be Pastor Martin. Assuring him that I was, he asked me to try to find out why the patient was so distressed. He had been unable to find the reason. To be continued. Tune in again next week for the next episode of I Saw God's Hand, written by Elwyn Martin and read by Alan Lindsay.
Let's listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. The next psalm I would like to share with you is Psalm 115. Idols are pointless, but God is majestic. We do not serve any glory, O Lord, but you shall be praised because of your mercy and truth. Why should the nations exclaim, Where has their God gone? Our God is in the heavens, and he does what he sees best, whereas the gods of mankind are of silver or gold, merely what man's hands have made. They have what appears to be a mouth, but they cannot speak. They have eyes formed in their head, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they hear nothing. They have a nose, but they cannot smell. They even have hands, but cannot use them, and feet to stand on, but they cannot walk, nor can their throat make any sound. Those who make these idols are very much like them, as is everyone who puts their trust in metal, stone, or wood. Hear now, O Israel, be sure to trust in the Lord. He is your helper and your protector. All you priests of the line of Aaron, put your confidence in God, for he is your helper and your protector. All you who reverence the Lord, depend upon him all your lives, for he is your helper and your protector. The Lord has a place in his heart for us. He will prosper us, the people of Israel and the line of Aaron. God will bless those who reverence him, whether they are insignificant or the great of the earth. May the Lord make your families and all you have prosper under his blessing. May his blessing be upon you, the choice gifts of our great creator God. The starry heavens and the place where he dwells are the Lord's, but he has given the earth as a home for his children. Those in the grave cannot praise the Lord. Those who go down to the grave are totally silent. But we who are alive will bless the Lord while we can both now and for as long as we live. Praise the Lord.